Welcome to the Athlete CEO Podcast. Each week, we aim to bring you world-class interviews with the brightest, most successful entrepreneurs, innovators, athletes, and business minds today to share insights on how to leverage your wealth for maximum impact in all areas of your life. You won't be hearing any vague theories or strategies from us. Our guests have walked the walk and are committed to sharing the best of what they know so you can apply the lessons that they have learned, sometimes the hard way. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or just curious what drives the success of these guests, this podcast is for you. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast. We are uh, super fired up for this episode. It is a, a rare opportunity when you get to have a conversation with someone where a relationship spans multiple decades and uh, just fired up to have this conversation with a, a good buddy of ours, but more importantly, uh, a former captain of the Notre Dame football team, investor at Excel Ventures, and now runs strategy and sales and partnerships at Ethos Life. We've got a lot to jump into uh, just about investing, sports. And so without further ado, let's welcome Joe Schmidt to the podcast. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Super thrilled to be here. Yeah, so th this is a ton of fun. Uh, obviously, for us, we we will promise our audience will probably try not to spend too much time down memory lane and wow. and jump more into uh, things that they're going to care about, yeah. which is bring us up to speed a little bit. What exactly is Ethos, and what are you doing over there? Yeah, so um, again, thanks for having me. Um, Ethos, we're a next generation life insurance company. Um, so, company started five years ago. The whole premise being that buying and selling life insurance is a fundamentally broken process. Um, you know, it takes 10 to 15 weeks. You get stuck with a needle. You've got to talk to an agent that you may or may not want to talk to. Um, and it's just not, it's an archaic process, right? Um, so we flipped that whole model on its head. Um, we underwrite people instantly after a very quick online five to 10 minute application. Uh, you can talk to an agent or you, you don't have to. It's really up to you. And so we empower people to buy how they want. Um, and really, you know, our whole mission is to try to protect those next million families um, because there's a massive coverage gap where people should have life insurance. But because that process is so bad, um, they end up not getting it. So that's what the company is doing. Um, and we, you know, can get you coverage really fast without a med exam. So that's 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 pretty much ethos. Yeah, that's a that's a great background. It's funny, obviously, uh, Brandon and I are, are partners and, and co-founders of AWM Capital, where we uh, we manage people's net worth on a daily basis and life insurance is, is exactly what you said. We know it's so fundamental uh, as a protection for families, yet the process is just archaic. And so um, it, it seems like the industry is ripe for disruption, just insurance in general. We're, we're seeing that, I think, on some of the auto insurance. Can you give us, uh, our audience, just a background of, you know, like why you guys are attacking that industry, what you think the opportunity is? Um, would love to uh, hear a lot more about that. Yeah. Um, so I guess we, we can talk, I guess, as deep as you want about the insurance space. Um, you know, when I was at my last job, I had spent a bunch of time across all the different startups, across all the different lines. Um, but really, when it comes to life insurance, you've got these companies and these distribution models that really haven't changed in 150, you know, sometimes close to 200 years. Um, so there's these legacy infrastructures where um, you've got a whole bunch of different things playing. Like one, you know, these tech stacks that are employed at some of the largest insurance companies are so archaic. They're written in coding languages that literally don't exist anymore. Like 
yeah, at some points I've literally talked to companies where it's written in code that the guy who invented the code has been dead 30 years, but they have to maintain it because, you know, information exists on this uh, system that they need to access. Um, and so when you have that and these companies also grow through acquisitions or, um, you know, whatever it might be, it ends up becoming this amalgamation of different uh, technologies that they're trying to stitch together. Um, so that's something that really, you know, slows down um, innovation there. Um, they also, like, obviously, there's the inertia of being a massive, massive company, you know, when you look at the Fortune, you know, 50, like how many of them are insurance carriers, right? It's a, they're, they're massive businesses. Um, and then you look at, you know, the channel conflict that's present at, you know, most of these insurance companies, they've been doing business for, you know, 150 years selling through an, ins- an insurance agent. Um, so maybe they're captive, maybe they're not, but their product has been built for that channel, right? So they're not meant to build, be, you know, be selling online, um, direct to a consumer. Um, they don't know how to do that yet. Um, so you, you kind of have all of those things, um, you know, coming together and then simultaneously you've got, you know, kind of the 20, you know, the, the, the economy or, um, rather the environment in 2020, which is, you know, super low interest rates, which compress profit margins for them. So they're trying to find different ways uh, to make money um, and, uh, you know, to make their, you know, profits work. Um, so they're more open to, to looking at new distribution models and more open to working with startups, I think. Is, that's one of the reasons that, uh, that, you, they, that we, people like us uh, are existing. Um, and then number two, there's, there's so many different ways that um, we can now look at data. Um, and so if you look at, um, you know, like the last 15 years in fintech, you see a bunch of really like foundational um, businesses being built. Um, you know, like you got like the stripes of the world for payments. You've got Plaid that allows you to, you know, uh, you know, correct your bank and connect your bank account. Um, there's so many different things that kind of enable, um, you know, these next generation uh, evolutions in, in technology. Um, and for us, um, we are able to use some of those things um, to, you know, access different data sets that otherwise would not be, uh, you know, able to be accessed, you know, ten years ago. Um, or there may be data that exists on someone that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, and that can inform our pricing decisions in, in ways that were before not possible. Um, and we're not shackled to those legacy tech infrastructures um, like, uh, you know, some of our, our incumbent competitors, right? So obviously there's a long way for this industry to go. Um, but I think so, those are some of the high level trends as to why insurance is kind of ongoing this, you know, really rapid transformation period. Yeah, I find that obviously super interesting. The the fascination. I mean, life insurance is just not uh, a fun process for most people to go through. So it's not surprising that you know this is an industry you guys are attacking. Um, and I mean, just hearing the depth of knowledge, I go back to you know us sitting in a conference room at Excel uh, when we reconnected a little bit, and you talking about jumping into your whole thesis on the on the insurance side. So I, I definitely want to get to your experience at Excel and what that was like and everything. But I thought it might be fun just to hear you know your unique experience being on the investing side in this space, yeah. but then also flipping over to the operating side and, and maybe contrast, like what are the differences? I'm sure they're vast. You know, what were your challenges in, in, in leaping over? You already had some of that institutional knowledge from your research on the investing side, but what's it like to be on the operating side? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, one of the like toughest things about jumping in is, you know, when you're, when you're sitting in the investing chair or you're kind of, 
you know, as like a coach to a player, um, it's really easy to see something when you're, you know, sitting in the press box. Um, and, you know, I'll use the football analogy, like play action pass becomes really easy to dissect when you're, um, you know, a hundred feet in the air, uh, and everything's clear. Uh, but when you're in the trenches, it's, it's, it's uh, such a different experience and it's so much harder to get things done. Um, and the models are just less clear. So I think, um, transitioning from more of, uh, you know, from a coach type thing, advisor type, uh, role, uh, and then jumping into the fray, you got to realize that, um, it's just, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult to make these changes than you think. Um, and, at the end, and then, you know, you got to recognize, like, you can just kind of say like, Oh, like, this is obvious. You should go do whatever this, you know, thing is. Um, and you, you know, when you're an investor, it's like, Oh, well, you're a startup. Like you guys can just move so much faster and, and so much more efficiently than, um, you know, your competitors. But that's obviously not always true, right? There's a reason that these companies are, um, you know, it's unbelievably, um, you know, successful and have been, you know, around for a hundred plus years as, as institutions. Um, you know, they're, they do a great job. Um, so I think like that for me has been like a, a big transition is just trying to understand what it's like to really get things done. Um, you know, uh, versus just like kind of looking at things and analyzing, you know, what needs to happen. Uh, it's fascinating. And I, I would bet, I mean, it's why we see also so many operators, right. Go back to the, to the venture side and do the coaching, I would imagine, but maybe, yeah, if you could share with us a little bit too, I mean, it, how much you go into it, you know, your story of being at Excel showing up, you know, and I think it would be valuable for a lot of our, our listeners just to hear about how, how'd you end up at Excel? Um, you know, obviously the athlete background, how much did that benefit you? Um, and then what was it like? I think so many people think, Hey, I'll utilize my connection show up and it's all going to be, you know, rosy. So I'd love for if you're willing to share a little bit about, you know, (laughs) what Excel was like when you showed up. Yeah, no, I'll make, I'll make some fun of myself. So, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate when I was, I was at Notre Dame, I spent some time as an undergrad and then post a little bit post-grad working for our endowment. Um, and that was really my first foray into investing. Um, and, you know, try and understand, you know, really what venture capital was, um, and everything like that, but you're really indirect investing into it. Like, you know, in that you're direct, you're investing into a fund and then that fund is making investments in companies. Right. So it's like, you're, you're really detached. Um, and when I came to Excel, um, you know, it was obviously just like a massive, massive learning curve for me. Um, you know, there was, like I, I kind of almost when I tell people about it, I say, you know, it was like standing on like a cliff um, and, you know, you're like rock, you're like rock climbing and um, you've got to like to continue going up. There's this sheer wall of just like granite or whatever, like there's no holds whatsoever. And then like, you know, 13 feet above you is like a ledge that you've got to somehow jump and grab and then like manage to like pull yourself up by your fingertips. That's what it felt like um, joining Excel. Um, <laughs> You know, like, and um, let me just be very clear. I do not have um, a vertical leap uh, like that. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I, it, that was like how typical that was. And um, it's kind of just like a, you know, very fiercely independent type role uh, in investing. And I think that's like a, a common misconception is like, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, okay, well, like, you know, how hard could it really be um, to go make investments in startups or, you know, hey, like I'm, you know, I'm XYZ, I play for XYZ club, or, you know, I'm a really well known guy, you know, I can get access to these deals. And it's like, well, you're really not getting access to the deals you want to be getting access to if they're coming 
to you. Um, you know, you, you got to know that um, this, this is a really competitive, um, you know, community. Um, and so that, w- that was like, I think, a huge learning curve for me. Um, and then, you know, for, for us, like, you know, at Excel, and like that was one of the things that I, I tried to do was, you know, very quickly I realized I need to figure out something where I can start to um, carve out a niche for myself. And that's how I found insurance and a couple other categories, um, you know, where I, I really spent a ton of time um, so that I could, you know, make that leap. Wow. Uh, you, you've said a few things in there that, that I definitely want to tackle. I'll come back to the, to the athlete slash celebrity conversation. I think ethos is even interesting, right? I know you guys uh, have investments from Jay-Z and and Robert Downey Jr. that we can talk about, but Iron Man, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Iron Man invested in your life insurance. So, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Um, But one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, you started Excel and, and you're sourcing deals, right? You're trying to uncover you come up with this this theme around the insurance space or just fintech in general. I think one of the things, whether you're an athlete or not, like what made you actually say yes or pound your your fist on the table hard enough to get the attention of the the general partners to take a a, a business serious, right? You guys sift through thousands and thousands of companies every yeah. year. Like, what actually gets to a table, gets a term sheet, and potentially gets a check? Yeah, I, that that is a really hard process, especially for you know somebody like me who you know you start and you don't know your ass from your elbow. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's, that's kind of how it is. Um, and I think it took me probably, I don't know, eight, eight months, almost 12 months of just like work. Um, and I, you know, I canvassed the entire industry. I talked to strategics, I talked to, um, reinsurers, uh, and developed a really like, you know, in my, I don't know, this is my own, you know, uh, probably not so humble opinion. I, I developed an actual you know, thesis and, and, you know, uh, a view on why this would be an interesting time. Um, and, you know, fortunately we, we, you know, we kind of looked at the space and there was a bunch of things that were starting to happen. Um, you know, so I, I think I got lucky timing wise. Um, and then just like, you know, had a bunch of conversations and put us in a place to, to be, you know, a little bit more thoughtful about some of these companies that were going to raise money. Um, and, you know, who knows, like we, we made a, a handful of investments around the theme and, um, you know, you're, it's, it's not over till it's over the, you know, but I'm really thrilled to be in the investments that we're in and, or they're in and, um, you know, but I guess like to, to maybe answer your question really directly, like to get a deal across the finish line at a venture firm, um, you know, we look at, I don't even know how many companies per year, like 10,000 or something like, I mean, insane. Right. Um, and like, you know, we pick 10, um, so the, the, you know, the, the rate of which we invest in companies is just so, um, we're just so select. Um, so yeah, it's really challenging and that's why we, we try to dive really deep so that we can be informed when the one that you should hit kind of comes across the, the, the plate, you know, it's, it's like the, the old, uh, you know, the old Hank Aaron's, uh, or not Hank Aaron, Ted Williams quote, right. Where he just like, he kind of waits, he's the, the master of waiting for his pitch. Like that's kind of how you have to be with, you know, as an investor, you just got to wait for that pitch um, to come across the plate. That's a, a great explanation. I've always been fascinated just by how many deals you guys see, uh, or, you know, or investors of venture firms see and, and go through that process with. And like you'd mentioned, you see thousands of deals, you invest in a few. Um, you know, one thing that we always try to impress upon, 
you know, our end clients and, and a lot of people listening to this podcast right now is, you know, if the excels of the world are doing that, um, how difficult is the game for the individual athlete? Like Eric just hit on, you've got, you know, a couple very well-known or more than a couple well-known people that have invested in ethos, but you know what, and I know that this is something we're all passionate about on the athlete side is making sure they make really smart financial decisions. Um, I mean, what's your advice to an athlete that's like, Hey, this venture stuff sounds awesome. I want to be involved. Um, you know, what would be your advice as far as deal flow? How do they look at deals? What, what would you say to that? I I'd say for 99.999% of, uh, athletes, um, you know, you're honestly best off just being like a, a passive investor in, in the in the public market somehow. Um, if you really want to, like, you know, do your diligence, you got to find someone who you can really trust, who's going to do the work to get you into the right positions, so that you're, you know, investing alongside an Excel or alongside a Sequoia or you know any of these people. So you know, they've already been smart in that they've selected someone like you guys, um, you know, to help them navigate this realm, right? Because the unfortunate reality is a lot of these people. Like I listened to, um, you know, a very, very well-known, um, you know, player in the NFL, um, you know, stand in front of an entire group once and give the advice that you need to know your financial advisor's name. Like, I mean, it's like the amount of like just insanity that's happening <laughs> around um, athletes. It's just, it makes me want to vomit. Um, and, you know, when you've got that going on, um, I, it's just really hard to, you know, sift through the bullshit. Um, and so I would just really recommend, um, you know, finding your way into, um, you know, relationshiping your way into the right circles with the right funds, because um, without just like a massive, massive, massive amount of work, you're not going to be able to, you know, come anywhere close to being able to make a good decision on whether or not you should invest in an early stage startup. Um, so, you know, I think you guys do a great job where, you know, where did I meet? Where did I meet you guys? You know, again, where do we run into each other 20 years later? Um, you know, at Excel. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you guys should be doing is trying to get into those conversations. And then um, the good news is like for your, your clients, you can actually add real value in, you know, in, in some cases, right. With whatever the company might be, you know, maybe there's a consumer angle and, you know, like when you guys ask us about our investors, you immediately say Jay-Z and, and um, you know, Downey, um, so there's, there's some value to be had there, I think. Um, it just, you got to find your way into the right place um, with people that you trust. Yeah, that, that's great. And I love the feedback just talking about, you know, you, you hit on the 99.99% of people should just be invested passively in the public markets and really understanding the, the risk reward of, of going into the private markets and, and having expertise to help yeah. you navigate, you know, through that. As far as if if you are a founder, I, one of the things that we've had an opportunity to is, right, we, we do get pitched a lot to, to get access to client funds and, and to have investments is what advice would you give to founders of companies that are sitting down looking for capital? Like, how do you actually have a successful pitch meeting uh, from the founder's uh, perspective? Um. Well, I guess like it really depends on the the founder and the situation and what round they're raising and um, all that fun stuff. I think at the end of the day, though, like um, my like very generic advice would be like you've got to recognize like 
what you're doing in these meetings. Like you're selling yourself and your co-founder and the dream. Um, and I think sometimes people like forget that, um, like, you know, you get too caught up in, you know, the numbers or the market or the presentation that we're making and how pretty it needs to be. Like you've got to, you just got to be able to sell, um, you know, yourself and, and, and this company. Um, so foundationally, I think that's really important. I also think that, you know, if it's a founder and a co-founder, you know, people, um, uh, you know, disregard the attention that's placed on the relationship between the two in a meeting. Um, and like, I think that's something that's like, just, you gotta understand that relationship because if it's, you know, someone who's technical and someone who's not, um, or someone who has domain expertise in one area versus someone who has it in another, just understanding the respect level between the entrepreneurs, especially at the early stages is super important. Um, I think, um, and then like, I think the other thing, depending again, like it really depends on the, um, the stage, but the earlier you go, I think you, you want to have someone who, you know, is, uh, you know, almost naive enough or crazy enough to like, you know, be willing to bet on themselves in a, in a situation where, you know, most people would fail. Um, you gotta have that element and just a, a fundamental understanding of the business model, um, and being able to like, you know, not have questions that I'm going to come up with in this meeting stump you. Um, because I think that would be a bad sign. So I don't know. Th these are just kind of ramblings. Um, and I think, you know, it really pertains to whatever the situation is. Yeah. And it's helpful. You, what you put it out there in the very beginning of you're really betting on, on the founders or on the team, uh, because it's such an unknown variable, right? There's so many unknown variables, but just talking about relationships, um, and for you, the pathway that you had, you had taken from, from Notre Dame to Excel to ending up here, I think there's probably this common thread through relationships that you developed and maintain. Can you just talk about how you think about relationships, what advice you would give for people that, you know, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, people are treated as a means to an end and yeah. that doesn't, that's not really successful. So just as you're, uh, could give advice is building relationships in these industries, how to go about them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's like a, uh, an African proverb. Um, you know, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, and like with, with me in my life, like I, I think about that all the time. Um, so like the relationships that I'm making are, are really just like trying to find people I want to, you know, go through this, this journey with, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never really thinking about, and I, I give this advice to people that are, whether they're my friends that are leaving pro sports or, you know, people that want to get out of whatever industry they're in, um, or maybe make a change. Um, you know, I, I think that the most, you know, powerful, um, you know, thing you can do is just kind of, you know, put yourself out there and, um, you know, I have to speak totally in cliches, but like really just kind of go first and go positive. You're going to get kind of what you, you know, if you put that positivity out there into the, in the, into the environment, you start, you know, going out and putting yourself out there, talking to people, creating relationships, staying up with, with folks, you're going to come across opportunities um, to work with, you know, people that you end up, you know, um, you know, really jiving with that you otherwise wouldn't come through um, just on the normal job hunt circuit. Um, and so I think that there's, um, there's, there's so much like just emphasis to be placed on like those two little cliches. And I just, um, if I was, you know, talking to, and whenever I, whenever my friends that are playing ask me, I'm just like, yo, you got to just go out there and without, you know, uh, trying to get anything from it, like you should just go meet people, like just talk to them. And, um, there's, there, you never know what's going to kind of happen you're, and you're not going to, 
the thing is, you're not going to have these really positive outcomes where you end up meeting someone super special unless you go out there and you take a chance. You know, you can't just sit in your, you know, your apartment, um, you know, your studio apartment the entire season and like, you know, not not do anything, not meet anybody and expect, you know, um, you know, whatever it is, the metaphorical Prince Charming to come in and like, you know, guide you to the next thing. So anyway, that's that's how I that's how I think about about it. And, um, you know, like I'm not ever like really I don't, people ask me, like, how did you find your job at Excel? Like, I, I honestly, I didn't. I like was just mm-hmm. trying to meet people, um, you know, and I, I met the general partner at, at Excel. Was supposed to be 15 minutes for coffee ended up being four and a half hours. Um, you know, and, and it was just because I like reached out, wanted to learn, um, wanted to meet someone who I, you know, thought that was, had a really interesting story. Um, and here I am, you know, however many years later. I think that's, I mean, from a mindset standpoint, obviously that's, that's fantastic. Um, and I think Eric and I would both echo all of that advice. I'm wondering, you know, from a tangible, you know, meeting the the general partner at Excel and having a 15 minute coffee. I mean, how did you get there? Or, you know, I think some people get so paralyzed by, you know, especially athletes, right? Um, I think they just get paralyzed by the, the, who do I reach out to? How do I do that? Do you have anything tangible? Like, did you, how'd you meet that general partner? How'd you get those introductions type thing? Yeah. So, um, Number one, like it, it takes shots on goal, right? I mean, yep. you gotta you gotta put yourself out there. Um, so my process, this was, you know, for me, I, I really looked at it in a couple of ways. Um, and so, like, this may or may not be valuable to to people listening. But I I went to um, I started when I was looking for my next role on a geo basis. I said, okay, um, I'm really interested in New York, Chicago, and San Francisco as potentially places I want to live. Um, so I just said that, and then I said, okay, on those like three, um, you know, places I want to potentially live, um, here are the potential businesses and business endeavors that I want to potentially get into. I know I want to be in business. Um, I know I'm really fascinated about investing and, and entrepreneurship. Um, so I'm just going to go out there and try to meet as many people as possible, not interviewing, just like meet people and, and learn. Um, and so literally that's what I did. Um, and so what I ended up doing was, um, and I think the guys that, you know, guys and girls that are your clients can do this in the off season is just, you know, go, go to a geo, set a couple of meetings, you know, whether it's through warm intros or, um, you know, maybe it's an event through your alma mater or through the program that you play for now. Um, you know, you set those first three or four and maybe you go to an event and then you just try to string those into as many meetings as you possibly can. And so for me, what I did was I went around a Notre Dame event in New York, a Notre Dame event in Chicago and a Notre Dame event in San Francisco um, I set three or four anchor meetings on the way out there. And then I just had like an open-ended week long trip that I had no plans for. Um, went to the event, got as many business cards as possible, you know, drank a bunch of coffee, no, no booze at the yeah. event. And, um, just like literally followed up with everyone that, you know, that entire night, sent a bunch of emails and just said, Hey, I'm in your neighborhood, you know, this week, you got time for 15 minutes of coffee. Um, and I mean like that simple thing, like if you're just in, New York near someone's office, like it's, it's, you know, and you shake their hand at an event or you say, Hey, I know, you know, I know Brandon, you know, and he said, we should get, we should catch up. Um, you, it's just amazing how many people will be willing to spend time with you. And then you go into these meetings, you just ask people questions. Like, I mean, look at me right now. I've been talking for 27 minutes. Like everyone loves talking about themselves. Um, and so like you just get people to talk about themselves and you end up making really good friends, you know? So 
I think that like that would be the, the advice I give to people that want to just go into some other space. It's like go to some geo and just meet with anybody. And then at the end of every meeting, just try to get one more intro. Um, and it just it spirals, you know? So I think I ended up meeting like 70 people in New York, like 40 wow. in Chicago and like 50 in San Francisco. And one of those people, lo and behold, was Ryan Sweeney at, at Excel. Um, so, you know, like it's just, I, I think that, you know, maybe it doesn't work this way for everybody, but, um, and I, again, I'm, I'm honest that I'm lucky, but um, I think it's a repeatable playbook. So yeah, Joe, that, I mean, I think that tangible advice is huge and I think it'll benefit everybody. Not only, you know, the athletes that are listening to this show, but the the founders, the investors. And I think one of the points that stuck out to me was the 15 minute coffee. I think having the awareness too, to have respect for people's time, um, you, you didn't have a big ask. And I think that probably benefited you quite a bit. And I, and just, uh, kind of, I guess, bring it full circle. You mentioned how we got reconnected. It was, you know, I was with a group doing a tour of, you know, meeting with other venture firms and, and founders, uh, through next play capital up in, in the Bay area. And I was sitting in that, that boardroom in Excel when you walked in. So, uh, I think there's just so much credence that people can take away from all that, all that stuff. And I just, yeah, encourage everybody uh, to put yourself out there, just like Joe said, I mean, part of the advice we give Joe to to our athletes are, hey, there's no better time. I mean, there's yeah. there's virtually nobody that's untouchable um, at this point in their lives. And, and I'm sure, you know, given your stature as the captain of the Notre Dame football team, that helped. Right. Um, so I think use use the tools we have um, while we have them type deal. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, everybody's got something. Um, and like, again, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. Um, but it's, you know, there's, there's always, I feel like there's so many people and you just go out there and you're not asking for anything other than 15 minutes of coffee. You're not asking for an, uh, you know, an interview, not asking for a job, n- nothing. Just like, Hey man, I want to learn about you. Um, and you never know where it leads. So. Joe, I love that advice that just ask somebody for 15 minutes, literally just say to them, I'd love to learn what you know or learn about your story. And that, that's something that all of us can implement. What I'm curious about is what's cultivated this intense desire for learning for you? Have you always been uh, in a lifelong learner? I mean, like, you know, you, this isn't the dress rehearsal, right? Um, you know, this is the, this is the, this is the show. Like we got one shot, you know, as, as humans in one lifetime. Um, and so for me, like, I'm an intensely curious person. I want to, you know, I'm passionate about that learning process and I find it really fun. Right. I mean, like, um, you know, I was like the, the kid in elementary school, so maybe it's innate and probably from my parents, um, or my family, but like, you know, I was the kid in elementary school that like, I would like read the entire history textbook. Just like, I just thought it was really fascinating. Um, and, uh, I don't know, like, and that's part of the, I think that same curiosity goes into like that story we just kind of went through on, you know, I love learning about people and like, tell me about your business. Like, you know, I, I knew pretty quickly I didn't want to do sales and trading, but I actually really enjoyed learning about that. Um, so I think like, instead of lear- looking at like learning as like this chore, um, look, look at it as like, I've got one life, you know, do I want to like sit playing Fortnite? Um, you know, like, and like whatever it might be um, or just like, getting drunk or whatever. And like, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I like drinking just as much as the next guy, but there's, I just think that there's like an element of, 
you know, we got this one shot and, you know, this one opportunity. Um, I'm going to quote Eminem. So, you know, <laughs> you know like, uh, I, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good enough answer. Oh, man, that, that that was a great answer. And of course, we all know how it worked out for B Rabbit. So so I think those are some uh, some wise words that you you, you left us there. But um, on a more serious note, what I wanted to, you know, just dive into here is as a curious person who who enjoys learning across so many different domains, what are your go-to resources or do you have a specific approach of how you go about learning? It's a great question. I mean, I'm like a big time history guy. Um, so like this, you know, the books that I'm reading right now are a couple different ones on uh, World War II that I, I just think they're fascinating. And like, I really enjoy like listening to these, whether it's an audiobook or reading, um, you know, like the, how the decisions were made, you know, in, in like high intensity uh, situations by some of the greatest leaders and men that have ever lived, uh, men and women that have ever lived. Um, so I think that's something that like, you know, I'm still into, I've kind of always been into that. Um, on like the, you know, tech side, I mean, there's a handful of resources that I guess we could kind of go over in terms of like how I try to stay up on, you know, my, uh, my, my, my kind of technology side. Right. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, th- I'd say like, just like it's, it's, I, I don't like enjoy the routine of like every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the same like six newspapers or like I'm going to read the same like 17 like different blog posts every day. Like I actually think that it's more sustainable and more enjoyable to just like think about it as, you know, I'm going to learn something today and I'm going to like try to, you know, find something that I find really interesting and then I'm going to dive into it and I'm going to continue to, you know, just explore these topics. So I'm less of like a, you know, routine. I'm going to like punish myself into like learning this uh, and more into like, a, hey, I want to actually learn this because it's fun. Um, and this is, you know, this is my time in my life and I want to use my time this way. Um, I don't know if that's a good answer. That was super helpful, Joe. I, I appreciate that. One of the other things that I'm curious about that I want to dive into is how do you approach your life outside of work? Of course, you know, as as former uh, elite athletes, one of the things that, that we believe in is high performance. Um, and we believe that it should carry far beyond, right, the the field or the boardroom um, into, into our personal lives. And so I'd love to hear how you think about optimizing all aspects of your life. Yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, um, I'm happy you asked. Um, something I think about a lot. I think of like life as like a multi- multiplicative series, Um, so like I kind of break my life into four kind of core pillars of whether it's like athletic or health, um, you know, academic or, you know, whatever that, um, you know, your, your, your kind of, uh, professional goals might be, um, you know, uh, spiritual, um, and then the social, um, as well. Right. And I think like if any of those kind of core pillars goes to zero, um, you know, being a multiplicative series, the entire value of the equation goes to zero. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't make sense, you know, just like anything times zero is zero. Right. So, um, you know, for me, I, I try to think about that as like, you know, what is the, you know, the end result of these four pillars, like trying to be right now, like what's the, the end goal that I'm trying to kind of create and I'm optimizing for. And then you kind of change the mix within each one of those things, but you can't ever like totally disregard any of them. Um, and so like, that's something I, I, I constantly think about, um, 
you know, so like, for example, like I obviously, you know, when I was training to be, you know, trying to play football competitively, like that was the thing that I was obviously optimizing for, but I still like, couldn't let my grades go to zero. I was going to flunk out of school. Um, and so now like, you know, it's like, okay, I don't work out for an hour, an hour and a half or two hours a day. You know, I do, you know, 20 to you know 15 to 45 minutes of like, you know, high intensity or Tabata training. Um, but I do it every single day or like I go for a 15 minute yoga or whatever. I, I do something every single day um, just because I'm not going to let myself, you know, let that go to zero. Um, same thing goes true for my family or my girlfriend or my relationship with my God, whoever your God may be. Um, you know, I just think that it's really important that you kind of keep this holistic, you know, viewpoint. Um, and that's, I think when you forget these other things, that's when burnout happens, right? Um, you end up just like focusing only on this, this business. And then you wake up like six months later, you're like, you know, shit, like, what am, what am I doing with my time? Like, you know, like the world is passing me by. So I think it's kind of a, this is a way, a way to combat that. That's a, I mean, great advice, great model, obviously, that anybody can emulate. I'm curious, I mean, where did that come from? It doesn't seem like something, I mean, maybe it is, maybe you're just a genius, but, you know, to come up with with kind of that, it's probably been modeled somewhere else. Um, mentors, coaches, your parents, you know, where did that come from? To be honest, I don't even remember. Um, yeah. You know, like my, so my dad and I, you know, we laughed about this, I think right before this started, um, you know, one of you guys, uh, you know, talked about the three goals I wrote down when I was a little kid. My, so my dad has been a big goal guy my entire life. Um, and so then like, I, I kind of just started thinking about these goals in, in sectors. Um, and then I, I don't know, maybe this is like 10 years ago. It kind of clicked to me that like, I, I had to optimize for something, but I couldn't disregard the other things. Um, so I, I, I don't know. And I think like some, so I already knew that. Yeah. I'm remember i think in a math class maybe it, it just like dawned on me that like this is like this is the perfect example of a multiplicative series like it's just like sure. you know that's life so I, I don't know maybe i stole it from somebody yeah. else I'm just making shit up but, but. <laughs> i like it well i mean it kind of leads to and, and maybe you do or don't have i mean i'm certain you have mentors uh, in your life but i'd love you to you know talk about if there is do you have official people that you go to maybe in each of those pillars or, or even if they're not in those pillars and then you know if you don't you know even just kind of broadly mentors that you have how, what, what's your relationship with them when do you turn to them what's that look like for you yeah well i'm like again like i don't know maybe I'm, i hope this is coming through that i'm not trying to be an egotistical ass but like <laughs> I, I do feel lucky that like i have a lot of people that um you know, kind of help steward me along the way. Um, and so I, you guys, I think, you know, both know my dad, um, but my dad is, a, you know, he's my hero. And, um, you know, from when I was a little kid, like he's just, he's been the model of what a man could be. And I just hope I'm like 10% of what he is eventually. Um, so I think that like him and my mom, um, obviously not to discount what she's done for me as well. Um, and then, um, you know, I've got a fantastic family sisters that have all pushed me my entire life that have been better than me in every single way. Um, has been great, but then like, you know, I've, I've been really lucky too with, um, you know, my, uh, sorry, my brother-in-law, but then like, I've also found through this process of, you know, going out there and putting myself out there and, and trying to just meet people. Like I've been really lucky to come across some really um, unbelievable people, um, who I won't like, you know, embarrass and put in this podcast, but, um, yeah, I think it's really important to just find those people that you can like, you know, totally trust. 
one, one thing that's, I think this is like, um, I don't know this. So this is something I'm hundred percent stealing, um, from one of my mentors, but he talks, um, he talks about something called, you know, Galilean relativity. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's a beautiful model of looking at, you know, a system can only be fully understood if you're not a part of that system. Right. So the classic model is like guy on a train holding a baseball, um, to him, the baseball is not moving, but to us standing off the train, it's going 80 miles an hour. Um, and so when you think about your life um, and, you know, the hundred years that, you know, whatever you may be allotted or whatever it is, it's impossible to understand, you know, 28 or 35 or, you know, 60, um, you know, until you're past that point. Right. And you're like, oh, I was a dumbass at 16 or, you know, I can't believe I made that investment um, at, you know, whatever it was. Um and so I think for me, like, I, I think um, I try to find people that are off the train that I'm on um, because to me, like my, my, or to them, my problems seem elementary, um, you know, um, and then the other, you know, the only other way you can do it is try to imagine yourself at the end of your life looking back and like what you're going to regret. Um, so anyway, I think that's, um, again, that's not my model. I stole that. Um, but I think, uh, I think it's a beautiful way of looking at it. Galilean Relativity. This is why you went to Notre Dame and I went yeah. to ASU. You are far wiser than I was at, uh, at every stage of life. But seriously, on on previous episodes, one of the things that uh, that we were fearful about talking about was was COVID. Uh, we had this naive naive belief that. Uh, Potentially, it would be outdated by the time that the episode aired, and and I think we all now know that that this is actually probably more of a new normal that we're all trying to learn how to navigate. But one of the things that we would love to hear from you is just what have you learned through this time? Has there been a silver lining of COVID for you? I know that uh, that you're actually relocated down into Southern California right now. Um, very curious, how has your shit, how has your perspective shifted uh, during this time of COVID? Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to like find the the positive in all of this. And, um, you know, one thing that I've, I've, you know, realized is, um, and I don't know if I've realized this, but it's just like put more emphasis on it. Like life is so damn short. Um, and when you're, uh, you know, you're given this, uh, you know, something like this, it reminds you of that. And so I, you know, some people have said like, oh, what are you learning during COVID? Like, what are you, like, are you trying to like learn a language or, a, you know, m- musical instrument? It's like, actually, no, like, for me, like I've spent like m- the extra time that I've got, I've tried to like pour it into family. Um, and, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, at, during whether it was, you know, sports and all the commitments that came with that or, you know, just being really passionate about my career and not being, you know, close to family. Um, I've tried to just use this as like a total reset point for that and just like really just invest heavily there. Um, and so like, I don't know, that's, that's been the thing that I've, I've actually tried to change most. And then I think, I don't know what's going to end up happening post COVID, um, you know, with like the vaccine, you know, or no vaccine. And it's like, everything changes every dang day. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, for me, like I just use this time just to really invest there heavily. Joe, so much of this has been a, a blessing. I know that Brandon and I have enjoyed this conversation. It, it takes me back uh, to, uh, you know, just our, our childhood spending some time together. But one of the things I want to do is obviously be uh, very respectful of your time, of our audience's time. But uh, 
I want to ask you, do you have any parting words for our audience, whether it's for for the professional athlete, whether it's for uh, a founder uh, that's looking to be backed by a VC or, or a, a fellow investor? What are what are your parting words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, well, I mean, first, like, thanks to you guys for having me on here. I, I don't know if I feel, you know, worthy of the audience, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously humbled to be here. So thanks. Um, and then, um, I guess like for the athletes that are listening to this, um, just remember that, uh, you know, how, how hard it is to really do an investing the right way. Um, and, you know, imagine if, um, you know, we got somebody off the street, um, uh, and we told them that they needed to go in and they needed to, you know, get a hit off of Clayton Kershaw. Um, or, you know, or we, we told somebody that they needed to go pitch an inning in the MLB, like what would happen? Um, and like, that is absolutely no different. And it actually might be more, in, um, you know, serious on you guys going into investing. Um, and so without the proper training and commitment, um, you run the risk of really losing significant, significant amounts of money. Um, and so I would really try to find people that you can trust that are going to do all of the work um, to try to help you come up to speed um, and then make really informed decisions about where you can put your time and your money. Um, because uh, it's just, it's, it's scary what can happen to people. So I would just a heavy word of caution, um, you know, there. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess that's probably, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I think of this audience mostly there. So um, anyway, I just feel like I wanted to make sure I got that point across. I don't think we could have ended with uh, with a better uh, words of wisdom there, Joe. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was a blast. We'll definitely have to do it again. And for the audience, thank you guys for for your time, attention, and detail. As always, I know that uh, that Joe mentioned some incredible resources throughout the episode. Once again, we'll make sure that they are in the show notes, which you can find over at athleteceo.com. And of course, we'd love to hear from you on any potential thoughts that you have on this episode or past ones. We also encourage you to head over to iTunes and leave a review for us. Um, obviously, we want to know what we're doing well, what we can work on. But as always, stay humble, stay hungry, and always be a pro. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast, a production of AWM Capital. Please note that investments and strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you. We encourage you to discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion at AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit awmcap.com.